0: Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Gathering of Church 21. I know that some of you will not hear this because you're at a park or you're on vacation, but for those of you who are tuning in online, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about Romans 8, 29, and 30. And next week, we're going to wrap up the series on Romans 8. Then we're going to move into a series, short two-week series called You Are the Good News. And then we're going to move into a 10-week series series. ...on Exodus 20. And if you know what's in Exodus 20, you know it's the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. So we're going to be focusing in on that for uh, this fall. Um, but let me pray, and then we'll get at this text. Lord, thank you that you are a God who is present and with us. Even if we're struggling to believe that you exist, you are, you are here. Even if we're struggling to believe whether you are good or not, you exist. And you are, are present and active in, in the moments of excitement, moments of distress, you are not far. So we thank you. Would you please open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to understand what it is that you want for us to know and see and hear this morning. We love you. Amen. So we've been tracking through Romans 8. We're almost done. Next week, we'll finish it up. But this week specifically, we're in Romans eight twenty nine and 30, and you heard it read for you. But let me start by asking you this question. If you could be anyone, if you could be anyone else at all, who is it that you would be? Is it an athlete? Is it a, a singer, a performer? Is it a politician? I don't know why you'd want to be one of those right now. Is it a businessman? Is it a, a mom? Is it a, a husband? Is it a child? Uh, who is it that, that you would want to be? right? If you could be anyone else, maybe it's a superhero. Think Iron Man, Captain America. Who, who would it be? More of a Marvel guy than a DC guy. But who would it be? Now, What's attractive to you about that specific person that you want to be? Why is it that you want to be that specific person? You know, is it because of their power? Is it because of the, the fact that they have so much fame? Is it because they, they have so much money? They have so much strength. They have so much influence. Uh, they're, they're not known by anyone, right? What is it that is so attractive about that person? And then the really hard question is why aren't you like that person? What is it that you lack? And that's hard to hear, isn't it? What is it that you lack that doesn't allow for you to be like the person that you really want to be? If if you're like most human beings, you've lived an existence of disappointment, of setting out things that you wanted to become and not realizing them. Seeing people in, in the future or seeing people that you wanted to become like in the future and not being able to become them. It's a life of disappointment. You weren't picked in elementary school. You weren't good enough. Or maybe you're still not being picked, so you don't feel like you measure up, and you live this, this life of constant, what if I could be someone else? What if I could be anybody else except me? But let me ask this question, and then we'll get into the text. What if you could be who you were actually made to be? You didn't have to leave yourself to be someone else, but what if you could be everything that you were made and intended to be? I mean, that would be phenomenal. Do you know who you were actually made to be like? Do you know who you are made to be like? I get it. You have your your mom's nose and your dad's eyes and your grandpa's ears, whatever. But do you know who you are actually made to be like? Well, we believe in the Bible. We believe that the Bible is, is one of the primary ways that God speaks to us. And in the Bible, in the first book, first chapter, we find out that God made us to be like him. We were made to be like God. Now, depending on your view of God, that could be a good or a bad thing. If you remember Charles Dickens' Great Expectations, Miss Havisham, she was supposed to get married and her husband never showed up. And so she lived this life of bitterness, and she mentored this little girl, Estella, and she mentored this girl into hating people, really, being this horrible, horrible person. And so if your view of God is that God has a chip on his shoulder, and he's just upset, and he's angry, and he's out to get everyone, then no, you would never want to be like God. But if you have a different idea of God, that he is benevolent, that he does what is good, right, and true, because this is what the Bible tells us, And this is the revelation that we have about who God is. And so if God really is benevolent and he is compassionate and he is long-suffering and he is love itself and he is grace and mercy and forgiveness, then yeah, that's someone that we might want to be like. In fact, I would argue that that's exactly what we would like to be like. Now, it's important for me to note here that when we think about God, we can't think about this, this spiritual being floating around somewhere in the universe. We, we can solidify our thoughts about who God is in the person of Jesus. Because here's what we believe about Jesus. That Jesus is fully God and fully man. He was fully God and he became incarnate. He took on flesh, carne. He, he took on being human. He became just like us while living completely unlike us. And so Jesus' life shows us How we were made to live shows us what what true humanity is supposed to look like under the rule and reign of God, submitting everything in obedience to God and yet not living this, this boring, dull life. Jesus lived a very full, lavish, lush life in terms of blessings from God. He didn't have prosperity in terms of a big house. In fact, he had no house. But yet he was completely content in who he was because his life was submitted to God. So the next question for us is if we were made to be like God. And, and to live like God is to live like Jesus. Why don't we live like Jesus? What is it that stops us from living like Jesus? Well, here it is. And I could give you the big long story, but I'm going to sum it up. That the, the reality is, is that we rejected God. We rejected God's plan to be like him and live like him. Now, we can't be God. We're not going to become omnipotent and have all power. God's not going to give all of his attributes to us, but we're like him. We're made in his image. We're to be vice regents with him. But we thought that we had a better idea, so we rejected him. You see, this different authority in Genesis 3 came onto the scene. Just call him the Satan. Can't get into all that this morning. but, But we were scammed. We were told that oh, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, then you're going to be just like God. And so what did we do? We ate it. But the reality is, is that we were already like him. we were already like him. And so in that moment of rejection, we became enemies of God. And there was no way to be with him again. There was no way for once righteous, now unrighteous to become righteous again on our own. There was no way for us to get back into the sport. You're, you're probably not baseball fans. It doesn't matter. Here's the illustration. Pete Rose, one of the best baseball players ever, became a manager and gambled on baseball games while being a manager. So he was removed from the league, and now he's banned from the sport altogether. I'm not even sure he can visit a baseball stadium. I don't know all the details. But here's one of the best, and he will most likely never get into the Hall of Fame. He's been banned. And it doesn't matter what he does, he can't get back into the sport and that's kind of like us we've been banned from righteousness we've been banned from god's kingdom we've been banned from all things that we were made for we were banned and so it seems like the story of the bible is that no one will ever get god it's this great benevolent wonderful god that says ah you're never going to get to me i'm so sorry this is all your fault and that's true isn't it it is our fault Because even if we didn't have to trace everything back to the first sin of humanity, the first missing the mark of humanity, we could just go to this morning or to last night where we wanted something so badly that someone else had, where we were jealous, where we had thoughts, lustful thoughts for someone else. Right? It doesn't take us very long to find out that our hearts are bent toward other things other than God. So it seems like no one's going to get God seems like no one's going to get into his presence. But what we see in Romans 8, 29 and 30, is God's drawing room, his, his room of plans, his war room in a sense, has been opened up. We've been let into his bunker to see the building project that he's been planning for all time. It's quite amazing. There's so much construction in Montreal all the time. But if you're ever to... to find out the full story of one of those huge buildings going up, what you'll do is you'll find a visionary, someone that envisioned a building being there before it was actually there. You'll find people that gave capital, resources to be able to make that thing go. You'll find a crew that put it together. You'll find blueprints. You'll find architects. You'll find designers. You'll find people who are buying into that vision before it's even real. So there are some places now that if you go online to to look for a place, you get a little cartoon drawing because the place isn't real yet. You're buying into an idea of what that is going to be. And so in a sense, what Romans 8, 29 and 30 is, is just that it's God allowing us to see this building project that he has been up to for all time. Now I have to say this, not all ideas that we're going to encounter today are going to make sense to our minds, We have to think more sci-fi and less logical. And it doesn't mean that it's less logical. It's just that it's a different type of logic. It's a logic that our minds aren't used to because there's an eternity past, an eternity future, and a present. And it seems like, as Paul takes us through Romans 8, 29, and 30, that we just jump around from the past to the future, back to the present, to the future, to the past. It seems like Paul got his grammar wrong, but it actually seems like he got it right. Now, let me say this. This is revelation. Okay? This is God revealing something that we don't deserve necessarily to know about. So you might have all these arguments that come up in your heart. So I want to give you a, a PRN. Now, medically speaking, that's something to take as needed. And so if you need to take this as needed, please do this. Romans nine twenty and 21. But who are you, a mere man or woman, to talk back to God? Well, what does form say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? That's really important. It's important for us to keep in mind. Who are you? Who am I? A mere man and woman. We are led into the drawing room of God, and we need to keep that in perspective. So let's get into the text. Last week, Romans eight twenty-eight, we found out that all things work together for good to those who are called according to God's purpose. Now we're going to see that twofold calling expand in 29 and 30 and there are really two things and we'll get into this. The first thing is that the purpose of God is to make us like Jesus, to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. So God is is into making us like Jesus. This is so profound and we just brush over it. We'll get back to it. The second thing though is that he's going to bring us into his family and we'll see what type of people we were when God brought us into his family, and it should be astounding. So how does God get this job done? This is the purpose, to make us like Jesus, to bring us into his family. How does he get this job done? Well, there are five powerful verbs that are all throughout Romans eight, twenty-nine, and 30. The first one is foreknew. The second is predestined. The third is called. The, the fourth is justified, and the fifth is glorified. And so we're gonna look at these <clears throat> in depth right now. So in Romans 8... 29 and 30, what we, what we see is this. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. So let's talk about this word foreknew. No. No, this, this word know, okay? This isn't mere information. It's not that you understand mere information. This word know is an intimate and a relational term. Okay, so here's what we can think of with the word no, that I, we're acquainted with people, that we are caring for people or being cared for by people. And it even has a sexual connotation. So when Adam knew Eve, the, 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 what happened was that there was a child. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this well so that it's good for all ages, right? But when Adam knew Eve, the result was a child, Okay, and you can figure out what no really means, right? It's this deeply intimate term, very intimate term. And so when we arrive at this term foreknew, foreknowledge, the idea of foreknowledge, it's not that God was looking down the quarter of time and he saw all the decisions that we would make. And so based on the decisions we would make, he predestined us. It's not that foreknowledge is that God has been in a caring relationship with us before we ever existed. Intentional pause. We need to wrap our minds around that, that God has been in a caring relationship with us before we ever existed, before time was a thing. God knew us. God was in relationship with us. We have to let that sink in. Because what this is saying is that God chose you before time to be in relationship with him. This is like someone actually enjoying the dream home before it's built. The only way you can do this is if you get in your mind of the dream home that you would love to live in and you see the living room and you see the lake or you see the the city view, but you're not really experiencing it. But yet God, who lives in a different realm than us, can can see it, experience it, and the fulfillment of it, enjoy it all at the same time. And yet speak to us in Romans 8, 29, that I foreknew you. It seems impossible, doesn't it? But it's not impossible for God, somehow. This should cause our, our minds and our hearts to worship. When, when we want to raise all the questions, all the objections, all the, well, how could this happen, right? That's a place where our minds and hearts can't fully wrap themselves around who God really is, and that should be a moment where we fall and worship. You have done a great thing. You were doing things that my mind cannot comprehend, and I need to get my heart around you and, and under your sovereign care, that you would have been in this caring relationship with me before time existed. So when you feel like God has bailed on me, God is distant, you need to know that if you are in relationship with him, that he has been walking with you since before time. this is profound. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me. I chose you. Now the objection rises and I get it. It's not fair that that God would choose some. If God didn't choose everyone, if God didn't foreknow everyone, it's not fair that He would choose some. And this is where Romans 9 20 and 21 need to come in. Who are we? Who are we? None deserve Him. None of us deserve to be in relationship with Him. God is rich in mercy, and yet none of us should be able to tap into that mercy. Here's the thing, we don't get to see all the plans, we don't get to see all the whys and hows. What we get to do is we get to see this little window into God's drawing room. And we we see into this knowing that what the rest of Scripture says is true, that He does what is good, right, and true. And so in this realm of objection, we should tread upon this carefully. We can we can go there, we can ask God these things, but we should tread carefully. Because God has revealed something to us very precious about who he is and what he's done. But here's the good news, is that if you are in Christ, if you have submitted your life to Jesus, and you said, Jesus, your life, death, and resurrection was for me, I need your forgiveness. If you've done that, then you have been foreknown. You've been in relationship with God since before you existed, since before you were thought of anyone, since before matter even existed. And if you are not in Christ and you're having these objections, well, why why aren't I known by God? Why haven't I been foreknown by God? Well, why don't you turn to him now? And that shows that you have been foreknown by God. And so what God does is he moves from foreknowing, foreknowledge, those whom he foreknew, he predestined. So the second verb that we get to is predestined, predestined. And it's not this, did God predestine us to tie our, our right, Shoelace before our left shoelace? Did God predestine that we would have a banana instead of an orange? And that's not what this text is talking about, at all. You know, those are those are fun questions to play around with, but we don't get a really clear answer in Scripture on that. But what we do get a clear answer on is the predestination that we're looking at. For those who He foreknew, He also predestined. Predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers. And sisters. The focus of this predestination. Is conformed to the image of Jesus. And this is powerful. Like this is really powerful. That God started a relationship with you. Before you existed. So that you and I could look. Just like his son. This is astounding. That God has known us. And known what he would make us to be like. God didn't throw us a get out of hell card. God didn't throw us a rope so that we could get a little blessing in our life. God didn't give us prosperity now. God is fitting us in this life. God is fitting us to be with him forever in his presence completely. Like raw, 100 proof, vintage Glory of God basking on us, raining down on us, and us being able to stand there and take it and enjoy it. This is amazing that God has predestined us to be fit to be just like Jesus. And there are implications and blessings now, and there are ones for later. And some of them for now are found in Galatians 5. Let me read that to you. It's a letter from Paul to the church in Galatia. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit, so the Spirit indwells all those who are in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. This is a picture of Jesus. This is how Jesus rolled. Love, peace, patience, forgiveness, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. This is how he rolled. And as Jesus is, is working in us through His Spirit. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. That we are being conformed to the image of Jesus now, before we're perfect, before we're sinless. The Spirit dwells in us. We are becoming more trusting of the Father. Jesus was in complete trust of God the Father. We are learning to share More about who Jesus is and what he's done. This is what Jesus did. He shared about his father and the goodness of his kingdom. And we are already children. We're not kids one day. We've already been fully adopted. We are already sons and daughters of God. So in a very real sense, we've been conformed to the image of Jesus in these things. And the the outworkings are being just that, outworked. And here's the reality. Later on, we're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus as well. We're going to be perfect and blemish free, and we'll get to that in just a moment. So those whom God foreknew and had a relationship with before anything existed, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so what did he do? Well, the next verse says that we were called, that we were called for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. He also called. Now, we've moved from like eternity past to eternity future and now back to the present that we have been called. Calling isn't a special feeling. Calling isn't this neat little mountaintop experience, though it could involve that. But that's not necessarily it doesn't have to be present for it to be true. Calling is God drawing him, you to Himself. God is call, being called by God is God wooing you to Himself. So the question has, has risen many times how do I know if I'm called? Well, do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe that Jesus is God who became man? who lived a a sinless life on your behalf. He went to the cross and died a death in your place for the penalty of your sins, went to the grave and on the third day rose in victory over sin, Satan, death, and hell for you. For you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus did that for you? And have you submitted your life to him saying, Jesus, I want all in. I want to trust you and follow you. I I want you to be my Lord and my rescuer. If you've done that, then you're called, then you're called. It doesn't matter what you feel one day. If if you've done that and that's where your heart is, is linked up, even in the moments of doubts, that calling doesn't go away. Now, God has woven his story into our story in, in different ways. Some of us have grown up and at the age of five, we came to understand this. Others of us rebelled until later on in our life and Very late on in life, maybe days before we we die, we submit to to the Lord. We all have different stories. God is not working out the same thing in each one of our lives, but he is working out calling to all those that he foreknew and predestined to be conformed to the image of God. He has called, and that calling will work. It is an effectual calling. But he always calls through the gospel. There's no one that that gets to the Father except through Jesus. And you only get to the Father through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. There's no other way. Not all paths lead to God. Only the path that goes through Jesus. And someone can't always be a Christian. Sometimes I talk to people and they're like, oh, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't always been a Christian. At one moment, you were an enemy. You might have been a three-year-old enemy, but you were an enemy of God. And in the midst of your rebellion, God invites you to be his family. In the midst of you going to battle and just trying to get that that right hook on God's chin, God says, you know, I want you to be in my family. Just as you, as this older rebel, want to... Destroy God and destroy arguments of God. As you're doing this, God is saying, you know, I want you to be in my family. Everyone in God's family was a former enemy. Everyone. And God wants former enemies to be his sons and daughters. And God knows that this is impossible for an enemy to work off being an enemy on their own. So what God does is he does all the work for this to happen. So what does he do? Well, those he called, verse 30 says, those he predestined he called and those he called he also justified. Now this is a legal term. To be justified is to be made right. You were in the wrong and you've been made right. Well, here's the thing is that there were legal demands that needed to be met for God's purposes to be carried out. We had a great debt against him. We were sinners. Rebels, enemies, how could that debt ever be paid off, especially by enemies and rebels? We couldn't find anyone on our team to be able to pay off this for themselves, let alone for all of us. And so what God does is astounding. He sends Jesus, and look what happens in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul writes this to the church. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That God sent Jesus to become sin, not that Jesus sinned, Jesus took on our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. On the cross, this great exchange happened where he took our unrighteousness, our sin onto himself and he gave us our righteousness and we just need to take it. And what happens is that when we receive this, the cross redefines Everything in Galatians chapter six, verse 14, Paul writes, but as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world, the world being the anti-God systems. And I mean, yeah, anti-God systems and anti-God tendencies that exist in our hearts that the cross redefines it so that we can now boast in this one who has come to take our place and justified us. And Paul writes in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you were saved by grace. It was a gift through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one may boast. This is all God's work. The justification is all God's work. God makes us Right. He gets all the glory, he gets all the credit, he gets all the honor, he gets the headline. God makes enemies his people. What's interesting here, though, is that Paul doesn't mention that we've been justified by faith in this text. He does it all kinds of other places, but he doesn't mention it here. I mean, being justified by faith, our our belief that God does this, that's what started the Protestant Reformation. That no longer were we going to tell people that you were justified by your works, by praying to Mary, by, by giving some money, by visiting uh, the sick, by having this many babies, by praying to this relic, buying this, whatever. Purgatory. Like, you weren't justified by any of those things. It was through faith. I mean, this is a pretty big deal, but why doesn't Paul mention faith here? It would have been an easy place to put it, but he doesn't emphasize it. Why? Why? Well, it would be like emphasizing that you showed up at a court case when someone paid your death sentence. Right? So you did something that deserved the death penalty. You show up at court and someone comes along and says, I'm going to die in their place. What would the headlines tell the next day? Not Johnny showed up at court. It was this guy showed up to take Johnny's place. And die. And the focus wouldn't be on you and that you're free. The focus would be on the fact that this person stepped in and made you free, made you, in a sense, innocent because the guilt was put onto them. And so Paul doesn't want us to get our faith confused with God's work here. Paul wants and God wants for us to be wowed by the God who creates, who comes, who is crucified, who rises, and who promises a future. And legally that that path has been paved for us to be able to walk through. We've been justified. Jesus stepped in and he took your place. You don't have to atone for the things that you've done. It's been done for you. I mean, this boggles our mind, doesn't it? Because we, we want to pay people back. If someone brings us something or buys us a gift, sometimes you don't like when people buy us Christmas gifts because we feel like, now I need to buy you a gift. We need to justify ourselves. We need to make this right. And yet Jesus says, you could never make it right with me. So I stepped in to do this for you. And don't try and add anything onto my work. Just live in light of my work being true. And the last thing that Paul says in Romans eight, thirty, Those whom he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. He glorified. So your new body, I mentioned this earlier, but your new body is going to stand in the presence of God. You couldn't do that right now. If you were to stand in the presence of God, you would be obliterated. No one can stand in the presence of God. When Moses in Exodus says, show me your glory, God's like, ah, you can't handle that. So he tells him, go stand in the crack of of that rock, turn backwards, and I'll tell you when I've passed by and you'll see like the train of my robe. We can't, we can't see the glory of God in its fullness and live. But what's coming, our future, who we were made to be, is, is going to come to fruition. That we're going to be able to stand in the presence of God and enjoy all of his fullness. I can't stay out in the sun for a super long time. I get tan, but it's like a reddish tan. My body was not made to be out in the sun for long periods of time. But my glorified body is going to stand in the presence of God and not be obliterated and not get sunburned. It will be exactly what it was made for. Here's the promise that we're being told when Paul tells us that you're going to be glorified. That no one falls out of the plans of God. God doesn't fall down on on his promises. He doesn't fall short on on his promises. What he starts is as good as done. Right now, now let let me take you into a very strange place. Right now, at this very moment, you in some way, are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Do you feel that? No, I don't I don't really either. These lights that, that are on me are, are very warm. That's about all I feel. But I don't feel like I'm sitting in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. But what is true is that somehow right now, Jesus is enjoying me in a way that I'm not necessarily enjoying him, according to Romans 8. It's strange. It's strange. Right now, though, you are seen and are experiencing being a son or daughter of the Most High God, and you already are a co-heir with Christ. And what God is doing is he's anticipating. He's anticipating for you to be in his presence forever. Like you get excited about going on vacation. You get excited about going to a theme park or going to your favorite restaurant. You get excited about these things. Well, God is anticipating you being in his presence forever. And at this moment, at this moment, I know it's almost inconceivable for our minds, but the glorified you is coming. That you are going to be infinite. That the finite is going to put on the infinite. The imperfect is going to put on the perfect. Death is going to put on Life, and you are going to be with God forever. That's such good news, isn't it? We have so many things that we don't know about right now. We don't know what life is going to look like tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. Who knows? But this truth is such a comforting reality that God foreknew us, predestined us to be conformed to the image of Jesus. He called us, justified us, And glorified us. You see, what happens when we when we get too frisky with texts like this is we get bogged down with questions of free will, and I would just say stop. You can stop. Because this text isn't meant to do that. This text is meant to turn your eyes to God, to show you and to see what He has done for you in your place. For us to get to see the revelation of how God has been scheming for all of eternity to get you with him. Do you get that? That for all of eternity past, the Father, Son, and Spirit have been talking and your name came up. And I'm not trying to boast on you or lift you up or make this about you. But the Lord is affectionate for you so much that he has been scheming for how you are going to be with him. And he made a plan and his plan will not be thwarted. Even if in your heart you say, "Ah, I don't like this and I'm going to run away from this. Well, guess what? He runs after you. He runs after you. He is a God who pursues his people. And one day, we are going to be exactly what we long for. We're going to be exactly like the one that we long to be like we're going to be like jesus we're going to be like jesus now what do we do with this what do we do with this well what do you do with good ice cream what do you do with good wine what do you do with with a good meal you 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 close your eyes well you probably put it in there first you close then you close your eyes and you you make noises mm. So good. This is amazing. I can't believe that I would get to eat this food. This is what we do with this truth. Oh, I can't believe that you would foreknow me and be in relationship with me before the foundations of the world and that you would predestine me. I am the worst of all sinners and that you would call me. I didn't deserve to be called. I was against you in that moment and you justified me. I thought I was justifying myself when I thought I would make my life a little bit better and you've glorified me and and I'm seated with you in the heavenly places. I don't get it, but it's so good. You're so good. And I want you, I need you, would you help my heart to get wrapped around this. This is what we do with this type of text. You close your eyes and you savor that you are loved in this type of way. You have been thought of and planned for in eternity past and for eternity future. Foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified, so that you will look just like your brother jesus so how do we respond well we respond through worship that's it that's all we can do we respond through through leaving and and worshiping and spending time meditating on these realities of what god has done for us and we submit our lives if you haven't submitted your life to jesus do that Don't let this go on any longer. Don't run from him. If you find yourself caught up in all kinds of gnarly sin, call out for him. He's going to come and rescue you and pull you out of that. He's not going to make you sit in that and push your face into it and say, look what a bad person you are. He's going to say, look what I've done for you. Allow him to overwhelm you with his love. And then tell other people about this. Tell them how complicatedly crazy it is. It is that you have a God that works in eternity, past, future, and yet calls you in the present into what he has. Our city needs us. We need this. Our church needs this. Let me pray for us. Lord, help us to enjoy you. Help us to enjoy you at this level. We want to be all kinds of people, but but the one that we really want to be like is you because you made us for that. That's why we long for something greater. It's because we're longing for you. Would you help us see that you've made us in your image and that you're remaking us to be just like Jesus? We thank you that you are a good God who always does what is good, right, and true. Your plan is perfect, and our objections, our, our whys, our hows, would you, would you hush those with this beautiful foreknowing, predestining, calling, justifying, glorifying love that you are lavishing us in? So we love you and we really need you for everything. Amen.